Do you have more pictures of your goats than yourself on your phone? Does your vacation time get spent attending goat shows? Can you have a conversation without bringing up dairy goats? Neither can we. So join us as we talk to the country's best breeders, judges, appraisers, and industry experts about all things dairy goats. We are John Kane and Danielle Caroli. Welcome to Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. What's up, everyone, and welcome to Ringside. I'm John, and as always, I'm joined by the detangler of helping people kid out their goats, Danielle Caroli. How's it going? I'm doing well. And uh, like you said, I think I have started a new job. Um, I'm calling it reproductive therapist and uh, (laughs) (laughs) adding it to my resume right now. Yeah, you I, I didn't get the full story, but uh, my cousin Faith had one of her Nubians kid yesterday, and, and uh, apparently it went awry because you were called, and then she uh, decided to name the kid officially Tangled All Up. So I, I have a feeling that you had to do some detangling. Yes. Yeah, so we'll backtrack just a little bit, though, on my new skills. I have assisted <laughs> poor Faith and thank goodness for technology, but I have assisted virtually with two kiddings. Um, we've FaceTimed, phone called, so I've virtually, I'm like the new virtual midwife. And then they had a doe who just wasn't progressing and so called me in and I discovered that there was twins and the sibling rivalry was starting early and both of them wanted to come out first. And so we had to put the dough on a hay bale to allow gravity to help us out and pull, push the kids back while the dough was trying to push them out. And thank goodness there was a buck and a dough. And so slightly different sized kids that I could tell whose feet were whose just by the size. So I was able to push the little one back, pull the bigger one out. And uh, it was probably more stressful for me than the dough. I have to say (laughs) afterwards, I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, you know, let's, let's make sure this, make sure this, she's going to need maybe a little bit more, um, aftercare. And as I'm saying this, she's already eating hay. She drank her water. She's up. She's happy. So I just figure it probably was more. And it really was once I got those kids correctly positioned and easy birth but so I was just laughing I'm like wait I think this birth even though they were tangled was much more stressful for me and her owners than it was for her but um good outcome you know as good as we can get yeah for sure yeah well thankfully you were there to help I guess this we should make like a a sticker or something the year of dystocia right Oh, yeah. Let's hope the year of dystocia ends, or can this be the month of dystocia? So when we get oh, yeah. to uh, April, we're good? I, I would be happy with that. Um, okay. Yeah. This week <laughs> this week we had a, another kidding, and uh, we welcomed Buck Doe twins from our Doe page. So that was a easier uh, kidding for, for Tierney to assist with, and everybody's good. So yeah, well, now we're just... 
milking two does, I guess you can say if, if Paige would get with the program and maybe try to produce a little bit more milk, but that's a story for another day. Uh Oh, well, at least Jem's keeping all those babies fed. Uh, yeah, we've had to supplement a little bit, but, um, she's doing a good job. I mean, there's four kids that are, uh, relying on her. So, um, I guess if she ever had quads, you know, we could have dealt with it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so we do have a guest this week, Danielle. We do. And as promised, um, I know back when I was first introduced as co-host, we did make a promise. And I feel like this is us upholding this promise. Yeah, I, I mean, let's, let's face it. A lot of our listeners are Nigerian dwarf breeders. And although I would love to have every breeder on every week, it's tough, right? And, and getting timing right with everybody is tough. But... We made it work this week, and we're super excited because we have Emily DeMichael, manager of Winning Streak Nigerians and Alpines. Emily helps raise some of the best Nigerian dwarf goats in the country. Her Alpines and Sanans aren't slouches either. Today, we'll be hearing Emily's story working with Winning Streak and learn what it's like raising dairy goats in the South in sunny Florida. Welcome to the show, Emily. Wow. Well, thank you, first of all, for all those kind words. And uh, thank you for having me today. I'm pretty excited to be here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if if you know this, but my wife Tierney and I used to raise Nigerians. And uh, when we were deciding if we were going to get super serious or disperse, we were like, well, if we're going to get super serious, there's this herd down in Florida that's got some of the best and, and kind of like quietly some of the best right like like you guys are super sleepers down there (laughs) yeah so we've heard um i mean you know we just we appreciate what we have and we appreciate the people who appreciate what we have but um we feel like we you know we're on a slow rise and as long as we keep moving up you know it doesn't have to be some huge jump or anything you know we're happy with with where we're at and where we're headed no for sure i mean if you look at your your guys's Facebook page. I mean, there's nothing but pretty goats on there. And, you know, unfortunately, Tierney and I dispersed our Nigerian dwarf herd. Uh, but I was I still really admire the herd and the consistency. And, and uh, can the audience kind of hear who you are and, and how you got into dairy goats with winning streak and, and maybe some of the accolades along the way? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, you already introduced me. My name is Emily DeMichael. I am uh, the herd manager of Winning Streak Nigerians and Alpines. So the herd is actually owned by Donna Lavery, as many people know. Um, Donna was actually my middle school agriculture teacher uh, starting, I think, in sixth grade or so. And she actually had a herd of registered Nigerians out at the ag farm um, so that the kids could have something to Uh, show at our local youth fair, you know, especially if the kids, you know, market projects can be kind of sad and she didn't want to scare potential kids away by saying, you know, you get to raise an animal, but then it leaves and doesn't come back. So we kind of like the uh, dairy goat aspect of it. And I mean, once I met these guys and they were all Nigerians, uh, but once I met them, I mean, I knew that, you know, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I had never met another animal quite like a a goat. And, you know, it's funny to say that out loud, but it's so true. And, and the goats really helped me through you know, a lot of dark hours of my life, especially growing up, you know, middle school. Um, But yeah, so I mean, I owe a lot to the goats and a lot to Donna. So 
we just kind of continued with the goats after that. Donna no longer teaches. Uh, I graduated, and um, the goats just keep growing. So, I mean, I don't <laughs> think there's anything wrong with that. But, yes, no, I mean, as far as accolades, I mean, we, uh, you know, we've attended two national shows. The first national show in 2018, we only brought one milker. Um, my heart goat, amazing, as many people, you know, many people I know her, I believe. But uh, she was top 10 at nationals our very first year. Didn't really know what we were doing, but we were thrilled with that. And then uh, we went again last year and we brought quite a few more. We almost every milker we brought made the cut, um, except for some wow. that, you know, were stale, kitted back in November. We had a couple that we brought, but I mean, I can't really, you know, blame them for that. But we had, you know, two third places with third place udders and like I said, countless um, top 20s. So, I mean, I'm really proud of them. And, and I mean, I really couldn't be more proud of them at this point. No, that's definitely an amazing feat, especially in that Nigerian show with the numbers that are there. I mean, I think I was at the nationals and every class I'm pretty sure with that Ni- with the Nigerians were there was cuts and so to make that top 20 consistently is definitely no easy feat. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. It was it was a thrill for I mean, seriously, I'm sure, you know, everyone wants to win the nationals, but I mean, standing in that third place spot I mean, I felt like I was on top of the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if this is going to be my first year going to nationals, and if something were to happen like that for me, I'd be, I'd probably be out in space somewhere right now. <laughs> so, so, not only does Winning Streak have dairy goats, but they, you guys also have miniature horses. Um, so, so what came first with that, the, the horses or the goats? <laughs> uh, so definitely the horses. Um, and the horses, you know, that they had the name Winning Streak first. I, I think it's a pretty cool, pretty cool farm name. But uh, no, Donna mm-hmm. had the miniature horses for the better majority of her life. Um, long before she met me, uh, she's had them, I want to say since her early 20s when she's had the miniature horses. Um, so, and she's built up quite a name for them too. I mean you know, world grand national grand champions. It, uh, it's a little different style as far as, you know, the national and world championship show goes for them. And there's three different registries, but yeah, the horses have been around much longer than the goats. Although the goats do greatly outnumber the horses now. (laughs) Well, they're a little bit more prolific, right? (laughs) I mean, you know, it, it, it depends. So, I mean, you know, the goats have, you know, multiple babies. I mean, we've had three sets of quince this year, but Oh, and they please. gestate a lot faster than the horses. But the horses, I mean, these are, you know, some top dollar minis. So the horses do pretty well. Yeah, I mean, top dollar would be the best way to put it. I mean, I, I've looked at the pictures of these horses. And you think of a miniature horse and you think of those fat little uh, grass ears, <laughs> you know, hay, hay burners that are yeah. on somebody's little, little hobby farm. But no, these are like legit like amazing looking horses <clears throat> hopefully my daughter doesn't fall in love with them <laughs> oh, yeah. we should sure up <laughs> <laughs> la 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 I'm not <laughs> so, <laughs> to follow up on that uh what aspects of raising and showing miniature horses have transferred to raising and showing goats so 
I mean, more than you would actually think. So I think, I mean, one of the more basic things um, is definitely grooming. So, you know, going to these world and national championship horse shows, I mean, these horses have to be clipped to perfection. We also, we razor their, um, above their eyes and oil them and razor their muzzles and stuff like that. So I think as far as like clipping and grooming and all that goes, I mean, just translated super easily into the goats, except it takes about, you know, half the time or less. Um. Also, though, a bigger piece of it, too, is uh, how to have a successful and selective breeding program. So, you know, I was already very lucky. I came in and, and Donna, I mean, Donna knows what she's doing and, and she has known for a long time. So I was very lucky to come into that. So I think that really translated as far as, you know, being able to get an idea of what you like in your program and sticking to it and, you know, not straying from that. And it's the same between, you know, any livestock species at that point sure well i mean thinking thinking of it like i mean with those and with any horse but with the miniature horses i mean that takes a lot of time to groom and a lot of time to get them to that national quality um so i can see how that transfers over to the nigerians and and I think the only big difference would be just size. You're probably bending over a little bit more with the Nigerians. Um, <laughs> Definitely. Now, now you guys do have Alpines and, and I think a Sonnen, if the website's up to date. I, ha- um, I have two Sonnens. I just have to put uh, the other one on there, but. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so when you went to nationals last year, did you bring any of those along with you? Uh, we did not. I did not have the, or I did have the Sonnens already, but they were still really young. Um, I think they mm-hmm. might've even still been on the bottle, but so I didn't bring those. I was planning on bringing an Alpine doe who is my showmanship doe, but she didn't take to her breeding. So she wasn't in milk. And then I had a wisdom tooth pulled the day before we left for nationals. So I didn't end up participating in any of the youth stuff. Um, so no, oh. we didn't bring any alpines or orsonins to nationals. But this year, I am planning on bringing um, at least one of the sonins uh, to show us a dry yearling. Okay. Awesome. And so, what brought those standard size into the herd? I mean, especially with having the miniature horses and the Nigerians, you're really going from one end of the spectrum to the other <laughs> when you're adding those sonins and alpines, the large breed does. Right. So. It actually, we got the first Alpine, I mean, a few years ago, I mean, probably four years ago. Um, and that was really actually to just bring in more milk. Um, so, you know, when we had Nigerian does that maybe weren't milking quite as well as we would have liked some of our starting stock, um, we needed more milk for all of our bottle kids. So we actually bought an Alpine doe. Um, and then we didn't really think it through because she was a, a dry yearling at the time. So then we were like, well, we actually, I guess, need one that's in milk. So we actually got another one that was in milk. So that's kind of what brought the um, Alpines in. And, and you know, they're nice. And now the ones we have, uh, two are finished. And then one is mastectomized and she'll never finish there. So, but uh, yeah. at this point, it's more of a, an attachment thing. Um, we don't need the milk anymore, thankfully. Our Nigerians are, you know, more than providing now. So happy to see the improvements there. But uh yeah, we have a, a doe who is probably my second favorite doe behind uh, Amazing. So is an alpine, actually. And, and we have her and her two daughters. So those are our alpines. Um, and those are the only ones. And they'll probably all stay till they die. And, you know, like, it's just a more of a sentimental thing at this point with those two or those three. But um, 
the Sonnens are actually my personal goats. So the only two goats that are in my name. And I just, I've admired Sonnens forever. I just think they're absolutely stunning um, with their, you know, gigantic frame. And they're, you know, they're the Holsteins of the goat world. So, and I've always liked Holsteins and I've always liked Sonnens. And so I had to get a couple from a herd that I have drooled over for as long as I can remember. <laughs> and what herd was that, if, uh, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, yeah, that was a Vineyard View Farm, or some people know them as Redwood Hills. I'm um, Scott Bice mm-hmm. out in California. So I had been on, a, I was actually on a wait list for uh, social issues for, uh, I want to say a good, I think it was like two years. It was it was at least a year and a half before she won her national championship. I was first doe reservation. Um and then, so, I mean, of course, I was ecstatic when she won. I watched her live on, on yeah. the phone, watched her win. And, and then the realization came like, oh, man, now I may never get my doe kid. But um, so she did kid and she had two does and a buck. And, and he decided to keep both because um, she had skin cancer. So he, she ended up having to be mastectomized as well. So and mm-hmm. I can't blame him for that. I mean, I would have done the exact same thing. But he still did find me two really nice uh, son and doe kids. So. I have two of those, and I'm planning on maybe adding another this year. So we'll, we'll see. But yeah, I've always loved this herd, and and I'm really pleased with the ones I have. Well, it seems like you definitely have quite quite the eye when it comes to dairy goats. <laughs> I was pretty pleased. I mean, I I picked out that goat, and I said I think this might be my favorite dairy goat I've ever seen. Uh, when I saw issues and I saw her pictures and of course, you know, just looking at pictures, I, I've never seen her in person, but then I watched her on live and I watched her win her class. And then I watched her in the champion lineup and then I watched her win and I'm pacing back and forth in the barn aisle watching it. And then I started crying because I was so happy. It, so it is cool. And I, I thought it was super cool, you know, that I picked this goat out, you know, almost two years ago. And, and then she goes on to do that, but maybe, you know, maybe someday, I know they're doing IVF and, and the embryo transfer stuff with her. So maybe one day there'll be an extra kid for me. <laughs> for sure. For sure. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, that's great. Um, so you guys have the Nigerians and you have the standard size breeds. Uh, do those present uh, management challenges for, you know, for so many breeders with different nutritional needs, feed efficiency, and, and of course, uh, equipment such as milk stands and inflations on for the milk machine uh do you manage the two as separate herds or are you standard sized are your standard sized does raised as nigerians with longer legs or (laughs) yeah i like that so yeah i mean in (laughs) essence ours are raised um kind of like nigerians they've always been with the nigerians and hopefully they always will be with the nigerians um the nigerians do i mean greatly outnumber them so but for the most part our herd if they're dry or juniors um anything not lactating is on mostly a hay diet Um, I do grain once a day at night just you know it gets everyone in one area I can get my hands on them I like to go through and and feel the juniors teats or developing udders if they have them I think that makes a big difference when they freshen um you know if I go through every day and feel everyone's discussions teats developing udders um if they're drying up I like to you know uh, monitor the progress of them drying up um so I do grain once a day but I mean it's it's not really a large amount of grain it's just kind of to get everyone in one spot but the alpines I don't we don't really have a problem um we feed compressed alfalfa blocks um so they have free choice access to a thousand pounds of alfalfa at a time usually um 
our milkers and the alpines maintain on that beautifully um our milkers have free choice access to grain when they come inside i we don't grain on the stand um i it i think it creates bad habits at least it has an hour dose um so they don't get grain on the stand but they get as much grain as they would like uh in their kind of holding stall area and for the growing sonnens they're allowed to come in with the milkers once a day. Um, and so they kind of get that grain, they get that extra grain versus staying out with the herd where it's a very limited amount. Uh, and that has made the uh, sonnens grow and maintain their weight beautifully as well. So we haven't really had any problems as far as nutritional management of the two living together. Um, and I hope we don't run in, into any. I know that the sonnens intake is only going to continue to increase, especially, you know, when I breed them and the, as they're coming into mm-hmm. milk. But uh, for now, we have no issues there, thankfully. And as far as equipment goes, we actually, the stands we use for our Nigerians will hold um, all of our standard breed goats currently. So now it's a tight fit for our biggest alpine. So I'm a little concerned about when these uh, sonnins get bigger. (laughs) But, you know, if the sonnins, if they get bigger than our biggest alpine, then uh, we'll just get a bigger stand and the Nigerians will just have a whole lot of room to to stand there to be milked. So, and uh, same thing with the inflations. We just use Nigerian inflations on our Alpines. Um, I mean, it's it works the same in our opinion. I mean, it may only grab onto kind of half their teat, but still milks them out just the same. We've never had any issues with anything like that, luckily. So, um, yeah, I mean, not really have ever had any sort of issues keeping the two together. Um, there was one incident where... My best guess is that an alpine stepped on a Nigerian doe's tail and broke it. But other than oh. that, uh, there's been no no issues. They kind of, you know, they kind of have their click. So the, the mom alpine and her two daughters, they kind of stay together and away from the Nigerians. And the Nigerians kind of avoid them. And the, the two sonnets have been together since they came to me. So they're buddies and they just hang out. But yeah, it all works out really well. Isn't it so funny how that happens? I feel that when you have multiple breeds in your herd, they do form cliques. I mean, within Mm -hmm. the breed too, they will form cliques, but I feel like somehow there's like a language barrier or behavior barrier or a behavioral barrier between the breeds and they just flock together, even if they've been raised um, with others of different breeds. Uh, I don't know. I, so when we had, Nigerians we had uh when we were just dispersing we had two left and the two never hung out with each other actually one latched on to a newer doe that we brought in Merrimack and and they were just you know glued to each other so when I actually ended up selling her I felt terrible for <laughs> the Obrasley that was left I'm like I'm sorry you're gonna have to find a new buddy but yeah like our Guernseys definitely stick together for sure yeah, it's funny, like, because we, the Alpines, so we had gotten the one who was the daughter of the two we got later on, and so she was the only Alpine in the herd for a good while. I mean, it was over a year, um, but yeah, as soon as we brought the other two in, it was just, like, instantaneous. The three of them clicked, and now uh, if you see one, you're pretty much going to see the three, and I'm very happy that they don't bully the Nigerians too much. Now, they will on occasion if they want to, um, but it's never too bad. They won't ever like chase down the Nigerians or anything. They're, they're a little too lazy for that. (laughs) Well, I'm sure when, once everybody starts coming into heat, then it's like, Oh yeah. Circus in that pen. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. 
Now, you mentioned that uh, you don't feed grain on the stand, on the milk stand, uh, because you felt it, it created bad habits. What kind of habits are we talking here? So the way our setup is, so I'm we're actually working kind of out of a horse barn, um, a miniature style horse barn. So the goats, uh, they're, they're pretty well trained. So I go out to the pen in the morning and I open in and all the milkers who know they're supposed to get milked, they run to the gate, they run out of the gate. They run the whatever hundred-ish feet from their pen straight into the barn aisle. They run down the barn aisle and into their holding stall. Um, and then that's where they just have free choice grain. So as much as you know, they'll eat, there's free choice grain, there's loose alfalfa, mm-hmm. loose grass hay. Um, their stand is actually, or the two stands that we use to milk are actually only about 15 feet away from that. They're actually in the horse, what would be considered the horse wash rack. Um, okay. cause you know, it's just super easy to wash down and keep clean. But, um, so if they wanted to, what we noticed is if we fed on the stand, instead of going right into their holding stall, we would have like four or five goats who would skip, like bypass the stall and go straight to the stands. And you'd have goats on the ground, standing up, reaching into the feet, yep. like the feet on the stand. They'll be like two trying to push each other off of the stand. And so not only that, but it also then created a problem of when we try to let them back out. Cause it's the same thing. We just kind of open that holding stall door and the goats all know to run out, run down the barn aisle, run the hundred feet to their gate. And they wait at the gate until I open it and they go in. It, it, it's a beautiful system, but when there's a uh, feed on the stand, you'll have some that kind of they'll backtrack. And when you're running a herd of, you know, 20 plus goats, sometimes trying to run them all out to the gate, um, and you have two, three, four, and suddenly, you know, they're all turning back and running to the stands because they want more. So it, it just works right. out a lot better for us. And luckily, we've we've bred to um, well, we bred us as well as we could to not have super fat Nigerians or Nigerians that you know the ones that get fat off of air. Um, yeah. So we've never <laughs> yeah. really had a problem with them having the free choice grain there. Um, yeah, it's, it's never been an issue for us as far as having to like restrict a dough and, and that gives them adequate time. You know, if, if they're drying up or not even if they're drying up, cause you know, you do want to restrict grain then, but if they're just getting later into their lactation and we don't want to dry them up yet, you know, they might only be on the stand if we're using the machine for, you know, I mean, less than two minutes at a time. So we want to make sure that they're also able to get enough, especially a lot of the times our does are milking and bred back. So we want to make sure that they're able to get enough and then having them in that holding stall enables that as well. It's that's super smart because when I let my does loose, when I'm bringing them from their pasture into the barn at night, it's, or even, you know, reverse it's everybody always has to check the feeder on the stands. (laughs) It's, it it can get quite annoying. So that's Mm -hmm. actually super smart. I might have to adopt that. Yeah, it, it works really nicely because it, it did get super frustrating. And like I said, I mean, when we're we have 20 plus sometimes and, you know, you're just trying to get them out. And then and since there's no like kind of laneway with fencing, because if they don't go straight from the back of the barn to their pen, I mean, they basically have the whole yard of the farm to roam. So it's kind of like it. you want to be quick about it, get them all out, get them to the gate, open the gate and they run in. Um, and normally it works really well, but when you have those stragglers and then suddenly they're all stragglers and then you have goats spread across the whole property and it's just a mess. Yeah. <laughs> then you're herding cats. Right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and getting a little extra cardio in for the day and <laughs> yeah. adding a few does to your sales list really quick. <laughs> yeah, <rush> definitely. 
I had a couple last year that were for yearling first fresheners and I don't know what it was like they just lost their minds after they they freshened and you'd milk them and then if you didn't grab onto that collar when they were done and like walk them to the barn you were chasing them for like 20 minutes and a couple oh, of them over went to the sale barn it was yeah it was, they find they luckily figured it out or else they'd be gone <laughs> oh gosh yeah bottle babies for the win for the most part <clears throat> oh, they, they were bottle babies right oh, it, gosh. Just, yeah yeah we don't we don't damn raise they were bottle babies they just lost their minds but they figured it out thankfully oh well that's good i always i always joke that if there's a animal or a breeder that you really want an animal from and they keep saying, oh, nothing's for sale. I don't have anything for sale. Start hitting them up right around the times they do chores in the morning and at night because there might be a moment of weakness where they're just so frustrated and they say, you can take this one. We want it gone. I'm, I'm over this one. This one's for sale. That's so smart, actually, because, I mean, I feel like we are usually the breeders that, I mean, I get we get messages all the time, you know, asking if we have anything available. And, you know, a lot of times it is does and even sometimes when it's books and like a lot of times the answer is no, we don't have anything Um but no, yeah, there's definitely some times where just out of frustration, like, oh, if that junior runs out of the gate when you're trying to get the milkers in from milking, oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, so that's yeah, pretty, that's a smart sure. tactic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and now kind of going back to feeding, are there issues with getting quality feed in Florida for you? Or what are some of the biggest hurdles um, you face due to your climate in terms of feed? So as far as getting quality feed, feed we don't have an issue um we actually have a local feed mill it's it's about an hour and a half from us that mills a really nice 16 percent textured dairy goat feed um and that's what the herd has been on uh forever basically um way back in the beginning we had them on the purina dairy goat and then we switched to it's, the brand is called knights and i mean they've just done fantastic i mean they've been on it for at least five years now and um so we have no problem there. It's always freshly milled. We actually get it at a feed store that's about 10 minutes away from us. So, and they do really well on that. We have everything on that except um, kids, uh, the um, kids who are just freshly weaned or who are still on milk in their first grain. We we tried out a new feed last year and we really liked it. And it's um, a Kalmbach uh, Start Right Kid feed. We really like that. It, it's our first time using a medicated feed. We've always been kind of shy about that, but we weren't really mm-hmm. liking how our kids were growing. Um, we always have, like, our mature does are always a good size, and we've, we've never had, like, issues with stunted mature does. But the kids, like, we were always the smallest kids in our classes um, as far as junior does go. And so we just wanted something that would see if you know it could make them grow better and and we definitely have noticed a difference so we started that and calf pro um in their milk twice or once a day but so as far as feed goes that feed is expensive and we do have to get it shipped in through chewy so that feed is difficult to get we don't have a uh, kombok distributor around us to to get that feed in but so the main herds feed and the milkers feed very easy to get kid feed a little harder but our worst thing is probably hay um being in florida we don't grow good hay in florida so all of our hay is shipped in from out west and it is very 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 expensive Um, i can i can only imagine yeah so it's very expensive and um as you know all goat raisers know goats are very wasteful when it comes to hay so that hurts a little bit but uh 
you know, we, hay and forage is the most important part of their diet. So we suck it up and, you know, they get what they need as far as that goes. But yeah, the hay is, is expensive. And another thing is, is storage for us because we're so hot and we're so humid all the time. We can't store uh, very much hay or feed at a time uh, because we run the risk of molding. So we go to the feed and hay store at least once a week, every week. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. so, but, so yeah. you listen to a lot of podcasts or music with that hour and a half drive, huh? <laughs> well, we don't, luckily we don't have to make that drive because it is shipped from there to a local feed store about 10 minutes from us. Oh, it nice. is. Yeah. But I mean, sometimes we'll get it, you know, the bag will, the um, package date will be like the day before. So it's like super fresh when we get it, which is nice. We never have to worry about it being stale or musty or anything like that. Cause it is oh, so wow. close to us. That's awesome. And now do you ever feed peanut hay or um, I know that's kind of a Southern specialty that breeders can use down in the Florida area. Right. So peanut hay, it, it does grow in Florida. Um, there's a few reasons we don't. And one is because it really still isn't super readily accessible to us. Um, our hay store does sell it, but they also run out a lot. Um, and we have found with peanut that it is like goat crack. So if we, we started feeding peanut and if they ran out, like they would go on a hunger strike and they wouldn't want any other kind of hay. It could be the most candy alfalfa hay you could imagine and they won't touch it because they want their peanut hay. So that kind of ran into a problem for us, um, as far as, you know, feeding the peanut. And the other thing we noticed with peanut is it makes them cough a lot. Um, just like dry coughs like, no, it didn't like create any snot or anything like that but just like these nasty dry coughs that they would just go on for you know five minutes at a time and just non-stop coughing I'm like we just didn't like that and and we think alfalfa it, you know is pretty similar and they've always done really well on it but sometimes occasionally if we're gearing up for you know like nationals like we <laughs> give them just about anything they want so they'll have a hay rack with a beautiful alfalfa they'll have a hay rack with some western western orchard grass and then they'll also have a hay rack with peanut because at that point it's you know, like you know you beautiful girls you eat whatever you want uh <laughs> we'll give you every kind of hay we can get that's a respectable quality and and yeah that's that but those are the those are the few reasons that we don't feed peanut okay and down south i mean you guys deal with the florida humidity and does that affect the herd health or issues with uh, lactating does and, and fighting mastitis or anything else like that? Definitely, definitely. It is, uh, in short, it's pretty miserable in the heat of the summer here. Um, <laughs> I think yeah. the goats also agree because, I mean, especially if we have bread does in the heat of the summer, which I feel bad for doing to them, but I mean, they just look like they're absolutely melting out there. Um, so it definitely for herd health, I mean, the heat and the humidity and the moisture um, in general, we have higher parasite loads in a lot of places. Um, luckily, not only have we bred for some resistancy, but we try to keep, you know, the goats in as clean as possible areas, uh, especially the ones with weaker immune systems, you know, kids and stuff. Uh, so that poses kind of a problem. It takes a few days after a big rainstorm to dry the, the pen out, which is what we're dealing with now. It just rained forever yesterday um so the pen is kind of mucky where they have some hay that has come out of the barn and and so I do worry about you know barber poles and we had our first experience with barber poles um 
uh, earlier this year, or I guess actually would be late last year, uh, we had two does get uh, barber pole and we did fecals on some others and no one else, you know, had any or had a negligible amount of uh, eggs on there. But the one did cause her to, the wormer we gave her did cause her to abort her triplet doe kids. And, uh, you know, she was super anemic. She went into labor, ended up in a C-section. So that was pretty ugly. But luckily, we don't really have very many parasite issues. And I think that's mostly due to management um, and also, you know, breeding for resistancy. So, but um, yeah, we also deal with like staff bumps on udders because it's so wet and gross. Um, luckily, not a lot of mastitis. Uh, knock on wood. Right. Yes, definitely knock on wood. I mean, our, our mastitis rates are really low. We had some issues from like one herd that we brought quite a few goats in from, um, like mature goats. And, you know, those had some mastitis. And it seemed like it was just kind of generalized to goats from that herd. So luckily, not really any mastitis issues. We're pretty clean about our milking routine. Uh, We use fight back after we milk. And like I said, they go in this holding stall that has, you know, always clean shavings in it. So they're in there for at least 10 to 15 minutes after they've been milked. And so I think that helps before they go out to their pen that might be muddy or wet or anything like that. Um, Yeah, the worst we get is, you know, those little white pustule staph bumps that kind of clear up if you scrub them with chlorhexidine. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean... I feel like if I were down south, mastitis would be if you know if I was down in Florida where it's wet, you know, mastitis would be something I'd be concerned on. But you, you guys definitely seem like you've got a hold on it. And then another one would be like coccidia with kids, right? Mm. Um, you know, but you have that prevention that you're working with now that I'm sure is helping with growth. Yeah. Luckily, we didn't have any because we used to struggle with coccidia Our struggle might be a strong word, but we used to have some coccidia outbreaks. And, you know, we kind of managed them with either using sulfa or um, tolchirazole. But we just wanted to avoid them in the first place because we did feel like they stunted kids. Um, mm-hmm. So then that's when we did introduce the calf pro and the medicated feed. And luckily, we have had no coccidia issues Um what do we, we must've started that in, we started that in November of 20, of 2020. So any kids from November, 2020 till now have been on like, uh, none of them have had coccidia issues um, with us at least. So we've, we're really pleased with that. And the kids are growing better. And, you know, we definitely want to chalk some of that up to the fact that they have had no coccidia issues. Right. Yeah. Even just a touch of it. I mean, I've had some in the past that, they don't show, you know, the the typical signs of having coccidia with, you know, the the runny stool and all that. But you, you can tell as they're growing, you're like, okay, you mm-hmm. must have had like now now that I know more, okay, you must have had coccidia. You just didn't show the typical signs, right? So now I want to kind of go back on the herd a little bit here. Um, like I said in the introduction, you know. When you think of winning streak, you think of consistency, especially with those mammaries. Um, when looking at your herd, the first thing that anybody will think is that consistency. But what what, is, what, what was the process like building that, that look? So in the beginning with the goats, we 
we were always drawn to a specific style. And now the style between me and Donna might vary ever so slightly, but overall it's it's pretty much the same style. And, you know, so we just kind of stuck with that. We bred goats that made us happy to look at regardless of if we thought they would win in the show ring or not. Um, we wanted correct goats that that milked well and made us happy to look at. And the fact that it just kind of overlapped with them doing well in the, in the show ring has kind of been the icing on the cake with that. The consistency also comes in, um, you know, we started out with one really good buck. Like, so we looked for a doe that we loved and we just, she so happened to have two buck kids available out of her. And so we got one and we used him heavily. We used him on everything that year. Um, and then <laughs> he's actually, he's a funny buck because his daughters go through some horrible uglies when they're young. So, you know, it's kind of like when they're hitting like six and seven months old, we were like, oh gosh, did we make a huge mistake? But they all kind of came around and, you know, he has uh, multiple finished daughters now. So it worked out in the long run. But, and then once, so we had some of his daughters, you know, we realized, you know, we need another buck um, to kind of breed back to these. So we only started with two main bucks. Um, so, you know, we bred the first one to all of the does this year, and then we bred the second one to all of his daughters. And that's kind of how we started. I feel like people really will start to lose their consistency um, in their buck pens for it, to begin with. Um, these people who have, you know, 10 plus Nigerian bucks that are from all different corners of the United States and, and have no consistency in themselves, like are not consistent with each other. Um, I think that's where people start running into problems and, you know, just staying true to what you like. Like I said, you know, we breed for what makes us happy. So we didn't see, you know, oh, this one nationals this year, let's go get something out of this, this one at the next year, let's go get something out of that. And we didn't follow trends, I guess could be a word. Um, you know, so just kind of staying, staying true to, to your own program and making it your own. But, uh, I think that's pretty important. And as far as, you know, bucks being consistent with each other, of course, you want to find bucks that then also complement each other because our bucks, they're consistent with each other, but then they also complement each other's flaws. And I think that's important. No, Emily, it really. Oh, sorry. I, well, I, I was just going to say, uh, Emily, how old are you? I am 19. Emily, that was probably the most profound thing that has been said regarding how to build your breed, your herd and get that consistency on this podcast. That was the perfect answer. I couldn't agree more. I just, I am amazed by your knowledge at your age. It's something to be said about uh, what Donna has been teaching you and, and your eye as an individual yourself. So I just wanted to shout that out real quick. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I uh, live and breathe goats. It's my favorite thing to research. It's my favorite thing to talk about. I'm sure that annoys some non-goat people at times, but I mean, <laughs> not I just, us. Don't worry. <laughs> I have never, ever gotten bored of goats, um, ever. And I don't think I ever will. I sure hope I don't because I just, you know, I love them more than anything. <laughs> No, it certainly shines through. And I have one quick question on that. And then I kind of want to continue on a little bit of a different segment or segue. But what is your current buck to doe ratio? So as far as breeding age does, and that might include some that uh, we haven't been able to conceive in a little while, we're around 45 to 50. 
and as far as bucks go, bucks that we're heavily using, there's about four. Um, so we did have, you know, those two original bucks. Uh, but, you know, once you start getting only their daughters and their granddaughters, you kind of start running out of, you know, who do you breed them to? And we looked mm-hmm. into AI and we've been fairly unsuccessful with AI, unfortunately. So we kind of were backing ourselves into a corner genetically. You know, we did some line breeding, which has worked out beautifully. And I think that's another thing that uh, helps with consistency a lot is line breeding. And yes. a lot of people are scared of it and they shouldn't be. But um, so now we're breeding four and in, in one of them is actually a kind of a combination of of three or actually the four uh, very prominent members of our herd. And he is just, I mean, he was only born in May of 21 and, and he's just a phenomenal guy. I can't be more excited for him. But yeah, we have a few others. I think we were up to, I think, six or seven Nigerian bucks. Um, one is for sale, but I don't know if I should be saying that because I think he's actually sold. Um he just finished his championship, and, and we bought him back kind of as a rescue case. So there's some that are here for different reasons and, and some that will probably leave. And we did just buy a buckling from a farm in Virginia that is kind of um, – he's an outcross to almost everything except one very prominent member of our herd as well. So that's the thing is, you know, I go out and we were looking for sort of an outcross, but I – I don't want like a 0% outcross because I can look back in this Buckling's pedigree that we, we bought and see a goat that we own and who I know blends well with our herd already, but he is still enough of an outcross that I can breed him to just about anything in the herd. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think even if I, like if I bring in an outside buck, I want at least even a 0.5% line breeding, right? <laughs> like right. I want yeah. something to be able to hang on there. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So we own this buckling. I think it's his maternal great granddam or great, great granddam. We own her and, and she's, uh, she's 10 with nine fresheningos and finished and a praise 91. And we have her son and grandson working in the herd. So she's been uh, pretty prominent in the herd. And so I was excited to see that those genetics work so well together already while bringing in some that some new that I wasn't so sure if they would work well together, but looking at this breeder's herd, I know they will. So, No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, when I do a lot of my breedings and I joke that with the way my herd dynamic is, everybody's related to everybody. But when I breed an animal to another animal, I usually have the backing of a history saying, oh, I've already seen this doe's aunt be bred to this buck and I like those kids and it worked well. So using that consistency and the genetic similarities definitely, in my opinion, help advance your breeding program pretty quick because you're keeping a strong consistency throughout and you're not reinventing the wheel and or rolling the dice (laughs) and hoping that the traits cross well. You kind of know what's going to happen and it's more of a sure thing than, uh, you know, luck of the draw. Right, exactly. We're not looking for something new. We're looking for something that will bring in what we're looking for, but in essence kind of, you know, not necessarily touch what we already have, I guess right. is how I'd want to put it. And I think that, that this guy will do that. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah. And now let's talk about – how you retain your animals and 
I feel like that is definitely something that each breeder has their own unique way of deciding how many animals they keep, where they get rid of animals when numbers get tight. So how many kids do you have born each year roughly? And then how many of those do you keep from each kidding season for your own herd? <laughs> oh, this is funny because uh, numbers. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, so the number does grow every year. So in 2021, we were right around 84 or 85 kids now born. So, I mean, I think we had a few DOA maybe. So, you know, that just includes every kid that, w- that was born that had like the triplets that died on the C-section and stuff. So but we were around 84 and, you know, it was less the year before and less the year before, and it'll probably be more this year. But So that's kind of where our numbers are at. But as far as how we decide what to retain, I have a very not specific system. I know what I'm going to keep before it's born and just hope that I have does born to retain. Um, I don't play the game of uh, evaluating newborns because I think it's just that. I think it's a game because... It, it flip-flops so fast. Uh, you know, you can look at one litter mate and think, I'm going to keep this one because I like it now. Okay, well, give that kid 24 hours and then tell me that they look exactly the same because they don't. Um, more often than not, they don't, especially is what I found in the Nigerians. Um, I feel like the standards, you can kind of get a better feel. Um, but the Nigerians, I mean, they're just little puff balls when they come out. So yeah, I, agree. I pretty much have an idea. I go based on genetics and based on the breeding. Um deciding on who I'm going to keep. Um, there's a couple more deciding factors. Uh, one, and I hate to be this person, but is color. But I got to explain myself on this one, though, because it's color in a different, a few different senses. Is I, I don't care what some people say. I do think color does play a part in the show ring um, to an extent. Um, I think when you start getting these Nigerians that are super splashy and super broken in their top lines, like as far as color goes, I think that can hurt and almost be overly distracting Um, versus, you know, you get some, I always like the kids to have a solid top line and we have plenty of goats in the herd that don't, but that is, you know, will be my pick. If I know for sure, I'm only going to keep one um, and there's nothing else I can tell that's different about the kids, you know, one's not a runt or anything like that. Um, I will usually pick the one with the solid top line um, if there's if there's an option or the most solid top line. Now, another key thing, especially being in Florida, is the color of the anus. Um, we are dealing or we have dealt and are dealing with some um, squamous cell carcinoma on rectums, on pink colored mm-hmm. skin. So, you know, we had a doe. Um, an aged doe who had it and she did pass but it wasn't from that luckily um it was different causes and then we have a doe who just turned four she is one of my favorites she's absolutely stunning and she got it as a just turned three year or actually it was right at the end of her two-year-old year I noticed this teeny tiny little spot on the top of her rectum and it's crazy because you know half of her rectum is dark and the top half is pink and it just that little tiny spot and I notice in it it starts out looking like a scab that won't heal and then it just kind of grows from there but luckily hers is very slow growing so I think I have you know quite a few years left with her and hopefully I can just you know stay on top of managing that and so it won't get to a point where it's out of control but so butthole color on kids is important to us um because that's just a heartbreak that we don't want to deal with on the regular um yeah, so, you know, before they're born, I kind of know. And then if they're born and they're extra generous with those, I, I usually will go based on um, color and butthole color. So, and I know that's a little untraditional, 
but we do bottle raise everything so we try to get kids out as fast as possible because we have quite a few and the faster we make our decision and the faster the you know person with the reservation or the person who's going to buy the kid can make their decision the faster that kid can get out of there I don't want to keep litter mates for eight weeks and then decide I like this one a little better and you know, our method for the most part has worked out pretty well. Um, and I do think a lot of how litter mates turn out in their differences can be managed management from herd to herd. Obviously, you know, we've kept some litter mates ourselves and there's definitely differences between them. But I think um, a lot of it can also be management as well. Yeah, I, you know, I, I tend to not think like we about the squamous cell carcinoma because I don't have Nigerians anymore, but uh, I did hear, listen to a uh, podcast and I mean, it's, it's, it was an interesting episode. Um, It was on the, for love of goats podcast. And this was probably a year ago where they talked about this and I was like, Oh wow. I didn't know this was a thing. And and yeah, it's predominantly with Nigerian dwarf goats that get this. Um, so for anybody listening and wants to know more about that, there's an episode out there about regarding that. Um, now, when you're, you've decided you're keeping your kids uh, before they're even born, right? You're like, okay, I'm going to keep a doe out of this one because I like this breeding. Mm-hmm. And you're not evaluating them. Um, so when, when do you start to evaluate them and get critical of your animals and decide, uh, if they have a long-term place in your herd? That is usually their first freshening, uh, to be honest. Okay. So we don't sell very many junior does that aren't bottle babies because this is how we look at it. So a junior doe is going to be one of the cheapest animals typically to maintain for a year. Um, so we don't necessarily rush to sell junior does Um because, you know, they've already been there for however long, how much longer, you know, until you can get them fresh in and see, because we don't like to deal with a seller's remorse, you know, and sometimes it's okay, because the buyers will be ecstatic if their dough turns out really well. But, you know, so typically, we'll know by their first freshening, and we've gotten really good at being able to watch developing first freshening udders to kind of get an idea beforehand. But um, yeah, so that's why, you know, a lot of people will ask if we have any like yearling, like dry yearlings for sale or junior does for sale, and we don't. So we really encourage people to get on our reservation lists or, or our wait list to kind of, to get a jump start on that because you're either pretty much from us, you're going to get a bottle baby or you're going to get a milking doe. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of the line there. And we've gotten very good at, uh, looking at first freshening does, you know, we give them a few weeks to kind of come into their lactations because they do change significantly, but Mm -hmm. we give them, you know, those few weeks and we can kind of get an idea fairly quickly whether or not they're going to have a long place um, uh, spot in the herd. Now that also depends on the genetics of the goat because now we've been in it long enough to know our specific lines in our herd and know, you know, looking at this first freshening udder, this will change about it. This will change about it. This will get better. Um, stuff like that versus, you know, you look at an udder and you're like, that is not consistent at all in what this line has been producing. And I know it's not going to get better. So she needs to move along. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I love the idea. And just because this applies to my own management too, of it's a lot easier and cheaper to have those kids than um, to have 
a milking dough or whatever. And I really agree with that, that the resources you're putting in, in those kids after they're bottle fed, even your time, you're not milking them twice a day. So there is a lot to say about raising those goats out and then seeing where they end up once they freshen. Um, What is something you find that you are culling hard on in that your herd? Um, Is it the mammary system or is there another trait that is your pet peeve currently that you will never have or, you know, try to get rid of all the goats that have really poor feet or what is kind of that trait that drives you crazy currently? Yeah, I I think I have two. Um, but I, I want to comment on your feet, uh, your th- thing though, because I do, you know, I, I can appreciate a nice set of feet. I mean, you know, it makes trimming go super easily. They usually maintain themselves better without um, needing a ton of trimming. The really hard thing in Florida too, though, is we have so much sand that we typically have more spread toes than a lot of places I feel like. Um, Cause you got to think, I mean, from the time they're weaned and they leave the barn and they go out in the dough pen, our dough pen is a lot of sand. So they're walking on sand and as they push down in that sand, their toes are spreading with each step. So over time, you know, our does might not maintain that tightness of toe that I know that they could, if they weren't walking on sand all the time. Um, that's unfortunately something we really can't change. Um, but it's just kind of something we've, you know, lived with and have or accepted the fact that we're going to live with but I can still appreciate I can tell the does that do have really nice constructed feet even though the toes might not be as tight as I'd like them to be but I, I forgive them for that but that, I just want to touch on that that feet topic there for a second that some people might not um, realize about Florida or other sandy states but yeah. um my thing that I me and Donna have two uh, differences here so my thing that I can't stand is is uh, loose shoulder blades or shoulder blades that do not lie flat against the body wall. And I think that's a huge problem in Nigerians. uh, Predominantly, I think because they're so quick to get fat. And then, you know, if they get fat when they're young and that fat builds up under their shoulder blades, when they come into milk, if they lose the extra fat, the shoulder blades don't just snap back into place. You know, they're stretched out and they just kind of stay there. So, that's a huge pet peeve of mine. I think it throws off their whole front end. I think it throws off their whole general appearance. Um, that is something I will I will never, uh, never get over, I don't think. So number one is those uh, loose shoulders or they just don't, it, you know, it messes with their gait. They don't gait as smoothly. Um, but that yeah. and then the uh, I call it the pygmy rump in Nigerians because it's kind of the easiest way to describe it is a short, steep rump that's round at the pin bones um, and less in curving at the thigh when viewed from the side. Uh, and it, it came predominantly from one really, in my opinion, one um, really highly, I guess, respected buck. It came heavily from that line. Um, and I, I don't name names, but it's just, uh, yeah, yeah it, <laughs> I just can't stand it. I think they do. I think it makes them look like pygmy goats, kind of like meaty in the rump, I guess. Um, they might be, you know, kind of flat from thorough to thorough, which is nice, but it's just when you look at them from the side and they lack that incurvingness of the thigh, um, and then they have like those, it just looks real round at the pin bones. Like you're looking at a meat goat. I just find that really unattractive as well. And they typically are real short from hips to pins, um, and, and typically steeper than most. But yeah, those are my two, my two main pet peeves. Well, and rumps are so important. In, particularly in the Nigerians. I was talking to another breeder who 
has goats in an area where a lot of the breeders are primarily Nigerian dwarf breeders. And the vet, their vet was just commenting on the number of C-sections that were being done. And this was a vet who has been in the game for years and years, but with the rise of the Nigerians and um, people having all sorts of herds using all sorts of genetics um, and having a lot of herds just kind of starting out and not knowing what they were working with, they were seeing this uptick in C-sections. And when you look at the herds in that area, you really see that there is an issue in that rump. And when there's rump issues, if they're too steep, you're not going to be able to potentially be able to get those kids out. If they're too narrow, you're not going to be able to get your hand in and help with births. And so I think as a breed, just simply with size, that rump with angle levelness is just so much more important than other breeds just based on size. I mean, you're, you're just proportionally so much tinier. So when you run into issues, the space you're working with, I think is just a little tinier. So it is definitely something to keep in mind as you're working with your goats. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, you know, so we definitely kid out a lot more uh, Nigerians than Alpines. And I I have pretty small hands and a pretty small arms. So I do, I fix all the dystocias um, if there are any. Um, and I do feel like there are more with the Nigerians than standard breeds. But I, I'm very, very proficient at getting, um, correcting dystocias. So at this point, I feel pretty comp. I feel confident enough to say if I can't get it out, it's not going to come out like through the cervix um, without a C-section. So we've, the only two C-sections we've ever had to have was a Nigerian, um, basically like eight-month-old kid that we didn't even know got bred. Um, it kind of slipped under the radar. She always had a real big barrel, so we didn't kind of notice until she had an udder. And then we were like, you know what, well, maybe she'll be fine. You know, she was kind of a growthy kid uh, until she went into labor and I realized it wasn't coming out and come to find out it was actually a uh, half alpine um, kid. Yeah. So we did have an alpine buck on the property for a short time and he, uh, there must've been an escape either while we weren't here or they, I doubt that they put themselves back away, but some sort of escape and, you know, he got to her. So it didn't come out and she ended up being fine and has freshened fine since. And then the other one was with the barber poles and the anemia and she didn't dilate at all. But other than that, I've been able to get every kid out. And I do think rumps are so important and, and Nigerian dwarf breeders need to focus on it a lot more because, yeah, it, it, there is not a lot of room. Like I just kitted out a a younger yearling first freshener um and she's very very petite and very small and she really wasn't progressing at all and she was very tired um just not a normal you know delivery at all and so I stuck a stuck a hand in there a little bit and I could feel like felt like I was feeling the back of a neck or some shoulder blades or something. So I had to go in and rearrange, but there's not a lot of room, especially when you have a more petite doe who has a lot of kids. She ended up having quads and luckily all lived. Um, but I mean, yeah, it, it's very tight in there. Uh, and if people don't know how to fix the socials, I really encourage them to try to learn. Um, cause you know, it can be the matter of life or death between 
you know, if you're waiting for a vet who's like 45 minutes to an hour away, you know, you could lose the kids. Um, mm-hmm. In some cases, you could lose the dam. So I think it's something that is so important for people who are going to be kidding out any number of goats should learn. Um, and really, the only way to learn, I think, is through kind of experience. So the first few are definitely scary and nerve wracking. And I won't lie. And like, you know, I'm there down there with the doe. I'm crying. I'm thinking like the doe's going to die. The kid's going to die. And what is this a back leg, a front leg? You know, you don't know what you have. But you just got to stay calm. And and I find sometimes it's easier to close your eyes because your eyes aren't helping you anyways at that point. So, uh right. I think that's so important. And then, so my first time having to pull an alpine though, oh my gosh, I went in there and it was just like this, she had triplets, but it was still like this, this huge like cavity that I wasn't used to. Like, Oh yeah. Room for days. Yeah. You're like, you have a mansion in here. Yeah. It was crazy. Like us, because normally, you know, most of our alpine deliveries just went fine, but this one, and I just went in and I'm like, wow, like this is kind of nice, but no, it's, it's interesting. Now, no. Oh, sorry. Uh, I was gonna say we're, we're running a bit long, but I, you know, you're obviously a youth with Adga, and you show uh, showmanship and all that. So I kind of want to touch on on showing down south real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously, you guys are pretty much mid season right now with showing your dairy goats. Um, right. How does how does the heat affect your showing, and what does a typical show season look like down south so we start showing in november we have two shows in november that's kind of our fall show season and then we start again in january we show january february march april may and then nationals uh so it is kind of a long show season and so that's why we have such a long kidding season too is because we kind of try to stagger and have different does for different times and then having a kid have a whole separate kidding season usually for nationals is kind of rough um which i feel like you know a lot of people north of us don't have to deal with that so much um but yeah so our our show season is pretty long but we do pretty well i think at finishing dough so kind of as as the show season goes on our show string kind of dwindles like we're actually leaving for a show (laughs) we're actually leaving tonight but uh we're bringing, I think, eight, and that includes a couple bucks. So it kind of dwindles towards the end, and it's pretty nice. And when once you get to May, it's it's usually starting to get pretty warm down there. Yes. Uh, so what do you guys do to battle that heat? With like transporting or at shows, are you guys do you guys have a livestock trailer that's uh, air conditioned or, or you know climate controlled or? Yeah. So to battle the heat, well. To battle the heat at home, we actually tried to insulate and air condition their barn, and they hated it. So <laughs> that was uh, some money not well spent, I guess. But yeah, no, we insulated it and air conditioned it and put, you know, like a doggy door and some windows. And, and yeah, they hated it. They wouldn't go in it. So the thing I have found that the goats like the best and that keeps them the coolest, you know, as well as we can, is they love high-velocity fans. Like, fans are one of their favorite things. So they love fans. Obviously, they need shade. Um, so they love and they need mm-hmm. shade. Uh, clipping them helps a lot. Uh, so, you know, as we're coming out of of our technically winter, if you want to call it, which it's really not, um, we do have some does that get some really thick, dense winter coats. So as soon as we start being above 60 at night consistently, I'll go through probably almost the whole herd and clip everybody just to get everyone kind of ventilated and be able to stay cooler and then also the 
girls, they drink a lot of Gatorade. I mean, it's it's not mixed to be exactly like Gatorade, but more so kind of flavored water. Um, but that does help them drink a lot more, which I think is important because when it's so hot in Florida, you know, they don't want to eat because when they eat and they're ruminating, their body temperatures go up. So they don't want to eat. They don't want to chew their cud. They don't want to get up to go get a drink. So anything we can do to kind of encourage them to do that, um, you know, we will try and, and hope that it works because it is hard. And at shows, we we have a horse trailer. It's a four horse um, living quarters that we haul them in and they haul with no air conditioning, but when we do get set up at shows, we have um, a panel system that allows them to come in and out of the trailer as they please, um, and they have a little pen outside. If it's hot or sunny, we'll put a canopy up for them. We have actually brought our high-velocity fans with us and put them kind of in the manger of the trailer and pointed them down into the main area of the trailer, so they kind of had, you know, their little wind tunnel thing. Um, to lay in if they want and that's that's kind of what we do if it gets really hot and someone looks like they're really struggling if someone's heavy bread or something and you know gearing up to kind of kid in time for nationals sometimes I'll just bring them over and hose them off a couple times a day and you know yeah. it's it's pretty hot when the goats are you know willing to to stand to get hosed off but you know some of them will so but it is hard to keep them cool definitely Oh yeah, we have a show up here that uh, is called Sunny Sisters, and and it's north of me, and and every year it just seems to be the hottest day of the year. So I feel your pain. I we've we we do trailer showing at that show, and, and yeah, we lug around fans and extension cords and try to do the best to hose them off. And but sometimes when it's at least in my experience, you know, we're obviously sissies up here in new york right where we don't we we have hot summers that are humid but not like you guys and but i mean i feel like our does just kind of deflate when it's that hot out mm-hmm. so i i would probably I, I would assume you probably deal with that at some shows you'll have someone that's struggling a little bit more because it's ridiculous out um yeah but so those days everybody else's animals probably look the same right yeah, usually in Florida, we all kind of deal with the same struggle, so it's all right. So sometimes we will lose our, like, um, that beautiful, like, full-bloomed look to the rear barrel, you know, that full mm-hmm. rumen look. We will lose that sometimes, and it is a little bit of a struggle, and some does take it a lot worse than others. But but we just do the best we can. Like I said, we offer them, you know, all the hay they'll eat and multiple kinds of water, whether that be, you know, at shows they usually have three different some three different types of water to drink, and that's usually plain water, Gatorade water and molasses water and you know they can choose their pick but anything to keep them happy and somewhat eating (laughs) and drinking so yeah yeah now you mentioned um and with nationals on the east coast this year you mentioned that sometimes your breeding season for those animals that you're hoping to take to nationals is a little different than your typical main show season animals and how do you decide who is going to you know who's going to have that altered breeding plan for the year so far in advance or is it just kind of luck of the draw or not luck of the draw but um i guess yeah just explain how you kind of go about deciding who's going to be part of that national show string versus your main show string Yeah, so for nationals, we try to, like, this is only going to be our third year going, but we are trying to bring mostly finished does. Um, So that, 
you know, then it doesn't really affect their, uh, you know, they don't have necessarily a show season that it's going to affect. We don't really do a lot of champion challenge because we normally bring so many already that it's, uh, it would just be one more goat to clip and haul. So, right, we, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, pay shows will bring some, but non-pay we don't, we don't usually, but yeah, so we try to do mostly finished does. Um, and then we do just unfortunately have to pick a few to kind of sacrifice for that show season. Um, for nationals like this year, you know, so we are going to have three yearling first fresheners who are going to freshen for nationals and, you know, hope that they freshen well, but, um, three of them, and then that'll probably be it. They'll dry up shortly. They're up there after nationals because I, I just don't think it's fair to try to keep them milking through the hottest months, July and August, because they just don't want to, you know, you, at that point you have to go in the pen to go find them, to get them because they have no desire to come in and be milked. But, um, some, I mean, we have had some that milked through and, you know, could show in November, um, but it, it's not common. It takes a doe with a really, really strong will to milk. So, unfortunately, yeah, we do lose some of our younger does, yearlings and two-year-olds. Um, they have to sit out for, for a year or so, or they might kid again, you know, in April or May of the following year. So, they'll have a very limited show season. Um mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just kind of a, a sacrifice that we have to make, unfortunately. And, you know, it would be lovely to be able to bring that the thought that all of our does would be able to kid in say january or february and be able to milk all the way to nationals in june or july but that's just not usually realistic because we get hot before nationals um yeah we'll see but you know our one of our third place third utter placings at nationals last year was a doe we bred who kitted in February. So, I mean, that was, I mean, we were very, very pleased with how she milked um, for that. Yeah. So it, it can be done. Um, and we would take a whole herd of her if we could, but, you know, it's not realistic for every member of the herd. For sure. Now, we're obviously, we're, we're hoping to see you guys at nationals this year in Harrisburg. And I'm hoping to see you with some of your standards and and you participating in the youth activities is that is that the plan that is the plan yeah so we're we're definitely going we do have a whole lot of goats kidding um you know right now and and in the upcoming weeks i have one more doe due in like three days and then some more you know in april and into early may so we're gonna have a pretty large um show string for nationals which is pretty exciting and i will have a son in there and Assuming all goes well, I will be doing the uh, the youth stuff. Like I said, if it wasn't for the wisdom tooth, I would have been doing it last year. I just yeah, I did not have sure. it in me. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to be there. I'm excited. Uh, I haven't been to Harrisburg yet. Donna flew out um, the last time I was in Harrisburg and, and watched a little bit. But I'm excited. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good year. I, I think so, too. And, and I look forward to meeting you both there. Uh, you know... Listening to you speak about the dairy goats and your your knowledge, I mean, I I I'm sure Danielle would agree with me that a if it wasn't for the Florida heat, we'd want to live your life, <laughs> and, and and b you are just such an impressive young lady, and really Donna and and whoever else has mentored you along the way, and with your individual. Uh, researching, you should be very proud of the knowledge and and the ability to speak and 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 I guess just kind of do as you are because I mean it's it's honestly a trait that is lost on a lot of young people. So you should be very proud of yourself. 
Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I just, you know, I do what I love and I'm, I'm having fun doing it. So, and I am super grateful to all the people along the way who have helped me. And yeah, I mean, I love these little goats. I mean, they just, they are the light of my life. <laughs> yeah, they're just so cool. And I think people, sometimes people think I'm a little crazy. You know, my, not, I guess I say day job, but it's really a, a night job. I work nights in a poker room. So, you know, it's, it's totally different than the goat stuff, but the people just <laughs> eat it up there. I mean, they love it. I, I'll walk into work and, you know, some of the dealers, they'll like ask me about a goat that was due or they'll ask me about a show that I went to. Cause I'm definitely the person who requests the most time off for goat shows, but you know, uh, people, they eat it up there. They think it's the coolest thing ever. I'm like, I'm glad, you know, to educate anytime. And same thing with shipping kids. Like, I love shipping kids because, like, at at, um, the airport, because there's so many people that have no idea about how extensive the goat industry is. So I like to educate people about that because, you know, people think that they're just goats and they eat tin cans and live in people's backyards. And that's the extent of it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, people (laughs) don't realize how much there is to put into it. Now, Danielle, did you want to touch on anything else before we wrap this up? No, I just wanted to say thank you to Emily. This was a wonderful episode. I am so appreciative of you taking the time and talking with us and um, kind of echoing John's sentiments earlier. I'm just so impressed um, Mm -hmm. with all of this. And I'm just so happy we had you on to be – uh, you know, a spokesperson for the Nigerian um, community, but then also um, just to talk to you as a breeder in general. And it was a true pleasure. So we we're very appreciative. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was honestly super excited when I saw the message. I was, I felt, I felt a little bit like a celebrity. I was like, wow, I feel like we're kind of these <laughs> nobodies and now we're being asked to be on a podcast. And the same thing I told everybody at work, I was talking about it. And so they're all like, oh my gosh, send us the link. We want to listen to it. I'm like, I'm not sure you'll find it very interesting, but I'll send you the link. So you guys might have some totally non-goat viewers listening. So that would be cool. Hi, anybody oh. from work. Uh, yeah, no, thank, thanks so much for having me on guys I mean goats are my favorite thing to talk about so and I might be a little shy you know if I do see you at nationals you'll definitely have to be the one to come initiate a conversation because I don't do it in person um no I'm very much I'm very outspoken over text or messenger as most people would know anytime people communicate communicate on the goat page you're talking to me uh and I have no problem talking there but in, in person and even like this I was very nervous for and I I do tend to be a little shy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you did wonderful. Nobody would have been ever been able to tell that you're a shy person. Uh, Now, I don't want to get you in trouble with Donna. So where can we find Winning Streak on the old interwebs, Facebook or any other place? Yeah, so it's um, we do have a Facebook and a website. Um, I manage both of them. They're the website is it comes up under both bra or both um domains it's winningstreaknigerians.com or winningstreakminiatures.com it's the same um that link to that website is also on our facebook page which is winning streak nigerians and as of right now that is all of our uh social media but i mean we're doing pretty well with that but yeah you know yeah, shoot a message and, so. <laughs> yeah i try to keep everything up to date on the website you know pictures of everyone up there so it's pretty fun get that other sign in up there <laughs> oh, I will. Yeah. She's pretty cool. She's she's actually, I think she's nicer than the one that's on there, but she's uh she's out there. <laughs> <laughs> She'll be a surprise at nationals, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, 
Emily DeMichael, thank you so much for being on. You did a wonderful job. And for everybody else, thank you for listening. This has been Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. I'm John. And I'm Danielle. And we'll catch you on the next one. Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast, is not an affiliate of the American Dairy Goat Association. All opinions or information regarding the ADGA does not represent the registry.